0: Welcome to episode number 28 on the My Story Podcast. The My Story Podcast features interviews with leaders, influencers, and entrepreneurs who tell their story and the life lessons they've learned along the way. Hi, I'm Conrad Weaver, your host for the show. I hope you're doing well during this crazy time we're living in with the COVID-19 crisis. I hope that you are healthy and thriving. Today on the My Story Podcast, I'm really excited to share my interview with the one and only Drew Davidson. If you're a regular listener to the My Story Podcast, you're already familiar with some of Drew's talent. The opening and closing theme music was written and performed by Drew. He's an amazing musician with multiple recordings to his name, and he once had a dream of hearing his music on the radio stick around for the interview and you'll hear what happened to that dream I think you'll enjoy his story today's podcast is brought to you by Kanjo Studios Kanjo Studios helps you tell your story through powerful video content and now also podcast production if you're interested in starting a podcast maybe you've got something to say that the world needs to hear, we would love to work with you to produce your show. Send me an email at conrad at and let's work together to share your message with the world. Hey, thanks for joining me today. Please share this episode with a friend or family member and leave a review on Apple Podcasts if you can. And now here's my interview with Drew Davidson. Well, Drew Davidson, welcome to the My Story Podcast. Thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thank you, Conrad, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here and
1: to be with your listeners.
0: You and I connected a while back at a church in Maryland where you were a musician and I was involved in the tech uh, world there, and we've kind of stayed in touch ever since. So how has life uh, treated you since then? Man...
1: Uh, it's been quite a, a uh, an amazing adventure since then. I think when you and I met, I was uh, close, to maybe not quite my heaviest, but you know, I had a major health transformation. Mm-hmm. I was when I first came to FCF Church, I was probably close to two hundred and sixty-five, some odd pounds, or somewhere around there, and now I'm down to one sixty or one fifty-five or so. That's so awesome. That's, that's awesome. A, yeah, that, you know, fluctuates depending on if I have pizza the day before. It, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, right.
0: So, so tell me a little bit about, let's go back to the background. Where did you, where were you born? Where were you, where'd you grow up? And what was the process of you getting into the music business?
1: Man, so most of my childhood, I mean, I was born in Bethesda, Maryland. Mm-hmm. And then for a small period of time was in New York and Texas and California. My father was a, a physics professor and uh, he was at Berkeley for a while doing some graduate work there and was part of the Naval Research Laboratory. And then we moved to Maryland. He took a professorship at Johns Hopkins. So okay. I, 1974, came to Maryland, turned five there, I remember. My five-year-old birthday was, just remember this little Matchbox card that I got. It was pretty cool. <laughs> My first experience really seeing a concert that I remember was when I was seven. And I went downtown to see Ella Fitzgerald sing. My dad thought that would be good for me to you know mm-hmm. see some real jazz singer, and she was scatting and doing her dee ya da beep birds do it, bees
2: do it, even mm-hmm. educated, please do it. do it, let's do it, let's fall in love
1: mm-hmm. uh you know, and she was just cool mm-hmm. I mean she was going all around and you know. My parents talk about an earlier incident when I was two and we saw Beverly Sills and I was trying to compete with her. We had lawn seats at Wolf Trap and they said, yeah, I don't, we don't think people paid to see Drew. So we're going <laughs> to we go to the parking lot for a moment. But, but seven, I remember that concert. And then I remember I was 13 and my dad said, okay, we're going to see this guy sing. And I was like, okay. goes, it's one guy by himself at the Meyerhoff symphony hall. He'll just be by himself. And, I was like, well, okay, no band, no guitars or anything. This guy can't be that great. And I went to see Bobby McFerrin, and he was mm-hmm. so cool. I was blown away by how one guy in a microphone, and he was rubbing his beard with the mic and making sounds. And just, It I mean, was so innovative. And he was mm-hmm. doing Beatles and The Wizard of Oz and all kinds of neat stuff. I mean, you know, most people mm-hmm. think of him as the don't worry, be happy guy, but he was actually mm-hmm. a classical conductor. Hmm. So, he did a whole bunch of classical stuff too. Of course, I just remember the, that stuff as a kid. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that he did the whole gamut of things. And, you know, I, my first instrument I started on professionally, well, lessons wise, was the cello. Huh. Okay. And my rationale for that was the girls took the violin home <laughs> in, in the orchestra, and the double bass was too big to take on the bus. The cello <laughs> looked like a guitar. My father had a guitar. I thought, okay, that's pretty cool. I'll take that home. So I played cello for a lot of years until I turned it sideways and my dad thought maybe you want to play
2: bass.
1: Mm. So I started playing bass in high school and played in bands. And then in the Navy, I really discovered the guitar. I'm sure I played Mm. a little because my dad had a guitar around, but I really didn't play. Mm. I was about 21 and I was in the Navy and I just fell in love with this instrument that we call the guitar.
0: Mm. And I've been chasing tone ever since then. Mm. Wow. So uh you took I assume you went and got lessons and or were you self-taught? I was mostly self-taught very early on. I did
1: finally get some lessons, went to uh, got a few lessons from a, a college professor, but I didn't stay there very long. I like mm-hmm. to tell people I went to I went to the University of Cassette Tapes and <laughs> you know, when I first started learning there was no YouTube, so I right. I used what right. my knowledge from the cello and how to do the the left hand and then mm-hmm. just kind of figured out scales scales. But I had really poor right-hand technique, mm-hmm. my pick or any of that. Because I was so used to plucking on a cello a certain way mm-hmm. that I tried to pick everything up, and it was all awkward. Mm-hmm. You know? So it, when YouTube started to hit, that was so cool because now I could see how they were doing it. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to guess. You mm-hmm. think about the guitarist, there's something like eight middle Cs on the guitar. <laughs> if you really think about right, it, there's right. a lot of ways to play the same note. Harmonically mm-hmm. and 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 harmonically and all of that, you know, this the piano. So was he in this position? Was he in that position? You didn't always know listening to a cassette recording, you know. And cassettes mm-hmm. were great because you could rewind them. CDs, right. or you could, depending on the player, mm-hmm. you know. But when YouTube came out, it was great. I could see what mm-hmm. they were doing and go, oh, he's up here. And then I mm-hmm. just played hours and hours every day. Out, you know, mm-hmm. whenever I was had something to do or should be doing, I was playing guitar probably. So it became your passion. Yeah, it really did. You know, they would say dinners in five minutes. I'd had a little studio built at my parents' home when Mm -hmm. I got out of the navy, and I would say, "Great!" And five hours later, I'd come up and find something to eat. You know, (laughs) twelve hours later, yeah, it became my passion.
0: Really. Wow. So, where do you make the jump to getting into a studio and recording an album? I mean, how, how did that happen?
1: Yeah, so what happened was I did my first basic album in my studio using an Apple program called GarageBand. Probably a lot of musicians have used that. and sure. I had loops in there, and I, I, I had determined that I wanted to be on the radio. And I made that determination when I was playing a gig with a friend of mine at Clyde's in Columbia, Maryland, the restaurant there. We were doing a solo acoustic gig, and, and I said, you know, I want to be on the radio, and he proceeded to tell me that you can't. And I thought, what do you mean I can't? I'm just going to get on the radio. If you write a great song, you know, great content finds a way. A friend of mine had taught me that in Nashville. So anyways, I made my first little record of my own and I uh, borrowed some money from my grandmother to put it out, you know, like two grand or something to have copies Mm -hmm. printed. And I just thought everybody would flock and get it. Of course that didn't happen. I said, well, if I just have a CD release party, everybody will come. Very naive (laughs) artist. But what happened? A few months later, I was on the internet and I discovered a woman named Kim Giles and she was speaking to artists on a thread in a website and I loved everything she was saying. Hmm. I said, oh my gosh, you're the female version of you know, my, my friend in Nashville who develops artists. She just, had, she just was speaking the truth. I said, I want to talk to you. So hmm. she's the one that really got me connected. She connected me to her friend, Deborah Lee Wow, who was the radio promoter at Capitol Records. She said, I think you have something. So I recorded some new songs in Nashville with a man I met, Eric Copeland. And we went down to Nashville and did that. And I sent that little demo CD to Deborah, And she said, you got more hooks than a fishing tackle box.
2: <laughs>
1: and the next thing you know, she was promoting me on the radio. And the wave was, in LA, was playing my song 50 times a week. Wow. Astro, I you know, I mean, it's not like next thing you know, but like, that happened probably over a span of a year, maybe, mm-hmm. but it, it did happen, you know, from when I met Kim to Deborah, the song being out there, it was actually pretty fast, because by then I was recording with Eric, and we had no idea if we were going to make any money on it or what was going to mm-hmm. happen. He just was willing to help. and mm-hmm. you know, musicians played in their home studios for me drums, and we recorded in the lobby of a studio in, in uh, Nashville because I didn't really have money to go into Giant Studio. Mm -hmm. it was all low budget but we had determined that you know one thing we knew is that people may not always like the music we make but they'd never be able to say anything about the quality Mm -hmm. so we Mm -hmm. had quality players on there we had dan needham play drums who played on like israel holton stuff and all this gospel and gary lunn who goes on the road with dolly parton Mm -hmm. and who plays in a band called the smoking section where michael mcdonald is their lead singer i mean eric found great players who were willing to do favors and play on stuff in their home studios for a little bit of money and I'd pay them. I think I rolled quarters to pay Dan Needham you know one time I just was scraping the money together to you know so that's kind of how it got started and then it just once you land one on radio, it's a little easier than sure. who you are mm-hmm. so now it's just right. a matter of you know continuing to create you know new content and, and and you know not try to outdo the other but you know try to stay in line with the other but create something new
0: right did 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 someone saying no or hey you can't do this motivate you to say watch me
1: yeah i think when my friend said you can't get on the radio like that you know dear friend and he and i are great friends and and i understand why he said that he knew the music business and he was like you need certain things in place that you don't have yet Hmm. maybe some of that was true but at some level it does You know, and I just, you know, this is the thing that I want to do. I mean, if I, anytime I do something else, I'm disappointed or it doesn't feel right. Or it's like, Mm -hmm. oh my God, you know, and I had various different people. I've always had people encourage me, but I have had a few people that have said, oh, it doesn't work that way. Mm. You know, musicians sometimes hear the word, when are you going to get a real job?
0: I, I right. love that
1: word. I'm like, Oh, there are there fake jobs. I didn't know. there It's was... kind of like us filmmakers,
0: right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I make movies and okay. When are you going to get a real job? Well, this is what I do, right? <laughs> the creative side of, of, uh, of, the world. So actually let's back up. Let's describe some of your early music. Some of those first albums that you, you produced.
1: Yeah. So my, my original first, uh, well, I could even go actually, the first one that came out, like on iTunes and mm-hmm. and all of that, was called This Journey, mm-hmm. and that was an instrumental album. I mean, that was a uh basically a, a guitar record with a lot of like licks going on and R and B and club grooves. And one of the songs we did, we cut a version of Amazing Grace. I had like seventeen saxophones in the end. Wow. I I did a version of Little Wing by Jimi Hendrix, and I did a bunch of originals. The rest was. All originals. Well, I did do actually my arrangement of "Be Thou My Vision," which I called "Vision Quest," hmm. which was you know kind of a, a cool. That was the first one that came there. But before that, I was writing these other kinds of records that were like pop singer songwriter John Mayer style, U2 interesting, mm-hmm. cool things. I mean, always been recording. But after mm-hmm. I did this journey, I did a series of jazz albums: one, two, mm-hmm. three, four, five. The fifth one actually received a, an endorsement by George Benson. Hmm. And then I started getting the urge again to sing. I thought, hmm. man, I think I want to kind of go and incorporate everything I've learned and done in jazz, along with some pop. Hmm. And, and I just had discovered in a leadership course that were, there was stuff I wanted to say vocally. So hmm. I started doing that, which led to A Good Life. And then now my, my latest uh, album, which is a compilation, which is called it's time. And it has like four new songs. I mean, I have something like 50 new songs ready to do something with. Mm -hmm. And we, we took four of them and put them on this compilation so we could send it to college radio and and kind of use that market as a test for Mm -hmm. some of the newer stuff I'm doing. So, Mm -hmm. so
0: here on the, uh, the, my story podcast, our theme music that we have for the opening and close is your song cosmopolitan. Okay. Yeah. uh that's one of your one of your tunes right yeah yeah it's just it yeah, has thanks. a really cool really cool sound i've just kind of kind of kind of found that to really work for for our opening and closing theme here
1: yeah i think that's scott's pop i remember right yeah yeah so,
0: uh, what cool you'll hear, thing. As, yeah, as we uh, actually, you know, it'll it'll play as we as I put do the post production on this podcast, you know. So uh, that, that's kind of cool. So having you on the show is really cool. To, to you know, here's the music that's been playing on the program for the last year, and now here's the artist who created that. So that's a really cool thing. So uh, talk about leadership. So you have done some things just in in leadership training, and what's the importance of of really becoming a leader that uh we're intended to be
1: man i i have a lot to say on that but i think the importance of becoming well one thing about leadership is that you you first have to be a a good follower to be a good leader Hmm. so you have to be able to take direction but i think what's important about leadership is that i i believe and i've studied this guy I, i like the way he puts it dr miles monroe and uh, he would say that something to the effect of everybody has a gift that they are to deposit to the earth hmm. and the earth, only the world, rather or the earth, however you want to say it, hmm. it only really is concerned about your gift and, and only you can deposit your gift. So everybody has something special inside of them that they need to, you know, uh, uh, provide. And I think leaders, you know, leadership training, however you do it will help you to discover what that is and then to deposit that. And if you don't, no one else will. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, your your people who are listening to your podcast, no one's coming for them but you with this information. Mm -hmm. I can't do that. And subsequently, I have my people who are into my music or into my brand, my health and fitness and whatever I'm doing. and, And I have the opportunity to come and bring something to them. And it's rewarding to, you know, build into someone else's life. And you hear stories like they were inspired by you or they did something, you know, out of what you're doing, and mm-hmm. I think it's needed. You know, mm-hmm. where one of the things I have discovered in some of the work that I've done is something called tranquilized obviousness. Hmm. People suffer from that. Most people go, "What do you mean tranquilized obviousness? Shouldn't it be tranquilized unobviousness?" No, tranquilized obviousness. Some of you will take a minute for that to sink in, but you know, I like the way Les Brown hmm. said it. You know, most of you, the only reason you woke up is because you didn't die in the middle of the night. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with any of that. You know, we've been doing what we've been doing and having what we've been having and we're relatively okay with it. May not like it. We can live with it. You know, but they, you know, if something is going to alter, we have to alter. And the first person to share this information with me in a big way was a man named Brian McClure, who I remember I was at the time playing around with some other businesses, kind of thinking about not doing music and actually then discovered how much I loved music, had a new love for it. But Brian said, You know, uh, you can't give what you want, Drew. You can only give who you are. Hmm. And until you alter who you are as a leader, you can't provide that for anyone else. And then he said, I don't care how hard you motivate the caterpillar. It's not turning into a butterfly. Hmm. You can yell at it all you want. He said, the only way it does that is to transform. Hmm. And then he said something like, you know, transformation is the genesis of a new realm of possibility." when we ourselves transform. So -hmm. it's, it's, you know, so that's a big part of me. That's different than motivation. It's actually really altering who you are as a leader and going to the core of you and you know, whatever beliefs and conversations you might be having with yourself, altering those Mm -hmm. and just standing in like, you know, who you wound up being is not who you are, who you actually are, you know, God's creature, you know, somebody awesomely created, fearfully and wonderfully loved. That's a different story and sometimes what we tell ourselves.
0: So I'm all about rewriting the story. So how has that transformation transformed you? What's been your journey? Well, one of the things that's happened
1: inside of that is that I actually discovered, or rediscovered my voice, which then had me go down this whole lyrical path of all these new songs I'm writing, because I no longer had it like, oh, I should just play guitar. You know, that was one story that I had, and I actually caught myself hiding behind the guitar. I was like, well, what if I really spoke my mind? And, and, you know, I used to have it like, well, if I do, I'll be a bother or nobody wants to hear that or there are other people should be doing that. And I thought, well, no, what if I did that? Hmm. So it opened up some of the last records that have been going on. It's given me the opportunity to build into a mentor, lots of people. And it's just really, you know, had me to, you know, come out of the shadows of my dad, which is one thing I saw. You know, most of us are either trying to be our dad or not our dad. Hmm. You know, so I, I would shake your hand and go, hi, I'm Dr. Davidson's son. <laughs> and people would go, oh, you know, but now it's like, hey, hi, I'm Drew Davidson. You know, <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> and I don't even have to give a title, like I'm an international recording artist, whatever. I'm just Drew <laughs> Davidson. There's a lot of things I do and love doing.
0: What influences your decisions daily?
1: Uh, well, one thing that, inf- well, my relationship with God influences my decisions daily. But but something else that I developed a long time ago is I call it my top five. If you're familiar with John Maxwell, he's got mm-hmm. the rule of five, mm-hmm. which I love. And if listeners don't know about that, it's pretty simple. If you have a tree in the backyard and you want to chop that tree down, five swings a day, no matter how big or small, the tree eventually goes down. Mm. If you try to chop it down all in one day, you'll get injured most likely, sore, unable mm-hmm. to do it. So I, I, what he said was, he, if you do five things a day, and for John, they're specifically around writing books because he's written 101 leadership books. So his is like read, write, think, file. You know, he's been doing it since he was 17. He doesn't care whether it's Christmas or New Year's or a blizzard coming. He's reading and writing and thinking and filing and reading and writing. You know. So for me, I developed my top five. And one of those is exercise. I try to get some sort of exercise in every day, read the word every day, encourage someone else every day, hone my skills every day and do what I say I'm going to do every day. Mm. You know, and then what that allows me to do is measure myself when I go to bed. Okay. How did you do some days I miss, mm-hmm. but yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that. It doesn't mean I'm not committed. It just means I miss that one day, but that's, that's kind of a barometer for me is that top five. Mm-hmm. Whenever I get way out of whack, I can just true up right back to true North. My, my, mm-hmm. and there, and there may be other things I do too. But those Mm -hmm. are kind of the guideposts. And a lot of times I can do those things in the first hour of the day. Mm -hmm. I can just simply send a message to someone on Facebook. Hey, man, how you doing? Haven't talked to you in a while. You know, I got a friend that's dealing with his son has a a form of lymphoma, cancer. Mm -hmm. And we've been encouraging each other over text. And, you know, it could be that. Mm -hmm. Hey, man, thinking about you and your son today. You know, what's happening over there? We need prayer for how can I support you? You know, that's Mm -hmm. how I'd answer that.
0: Mm -hmm. Something you just touched on. You said you hone your skills every day. I think sometimes uh, those of us, you know, sometimes we look at you know, professional athletes or amazing musicians or, or whatever. We think, oh, they, they, they don't need to practice anymore. They're, they've accomplished it. They, they, they've been there, done that. And you would come back to that and say, say what? Man,
1: uh, <laughs> you're never done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When you
0: think you've arrived, you're,
1: you're, you're squat. Yeah. I mean, it's look, there's always, I, I know for me, you know, I can tell when I'm not practicing, wow. I, I'm pretty good. So, I, you know, I mean, there are some who would say that I'm in the top 10 of, you know, various different things and, and that's great. I mean,
0: Actually I can you're pretty to, awesome. <laughs> I've yeah, seen thanks. You play, so.
1: yeah. I mean, I can, I can go to a, I can, I can go to a show not having played for, you know, 30 days or something and go in there and, and get in the groove and, you know, quarter of the way through the show be like okay now let's take it up and and amaze people but there and i know that when i'm constantly practicing and honing those skills there's something humbling about going back to the basics Mm -hmm. you know putting that metric on working on that and Mm -hmm. and, you know always i mean it's you know i I would rather be over prepared for something that doesn't happen than to be Mm -hmm. not prepared and something comes up and it's like oh can you play this And then you're sitting there fumbling over a lyric where you can't remember it. I mean, you know, you know, so it's, it's, uh, it's important and you want to keep it creative and and fun Mm -hmm. and all that. And, you know, passion is, you know, some people say, well, can you be born with a passion for a thing? Maybe there's some Mm -hmm. people who are, but I think passion can be taught and and you Mm -hmm. can discover it newly. And when you do, it's like they say the master, you know, the master has no delineation between work or play it's mm-hmm. all play, mm-hmm. even the work, mm-hmm. even the minutia of doing the scales and mm-hmm. doing the pick and, Oh my God, I had string bump. Okay. Got to go back and go slow. And that, you know, it all mm-hmm. becomes play and an exploration. And mm-hmm. you know, when you can do, when you live it that way, now it's like, okay, this doesn't bother me to be doing that mm-hmm. all for that two minutes on stage where I'm doing the extended solo in mm-hmm. a song, I'm playing for three or four or five or six minutes out of a 90 minute set. I might Mm. do this one solo where I'm really going at it and I think about all those Mm. times I practiced
0: and I get to deliver that to someone. Mm. It's worth it, you know? Mm. Yeah, so what kind of challenges do you face and how do you overcome them? Well one challenge
1: that I've been discovering now, I mean musicians face a lot of different challenges but one for me is you know. Music at the highest level is very much a relationship network. Some people would say it's a good old boys network, Hmm. but it's relationship driven. So one of the things I discovered recently is what if you could get how great you are and you didn't have to go around proving yourself? Hmm. That's something that I've been working on and that I think musicians could really take stock in, you know, because you want to promote yourself, but you also want to remain humble and die to yourself. That's kind of a spiritual term. Mm -hmm. And, you know, nowadays, another challenge, too, is is the Internet. And the reason being is that it's great because you can get your music up there quickly for your fans. Mm -hmm. And it's great. And it's not great because you can get your music up there (laughs) quickly for your fans. And people are, you know, people can record something in the bathroom and two weeks later have it online. Mm -hmm. So there's now a sea of content out there that you have to fight through. Mm -hmm. It's just like I tell people with health, you know, food is both the answer and the problem. You know, good food is great for you, and and you know, processed foods will do what they'll do. So, so those are so probably the biggest challenge is just that there's so many albums being released every day. I think I read somewhere like four thousand albums a day or
0: something. No kidding. I mean, it's
1: a lot when you think about what you would call an album, and people are releasing stuff, and you want to stand out with yours, and you want to make content in the streaming age, and now people are going back to making vinyl and you know, cassettes and some people want to hear that. And, you know, so those are, those are, are are some challenges that you get to overcome and you just get to be creative
0: and do you and all that. Mm -hmm. So do you think there's a, there's a uh, chance that anyone's going to produce an eight track tape? (laughs) I
1: don't know. I remember that my (laughs) grand, my grandfather had some idea about why they didn't work well. And he said they kept tightening as they went around or something. Mm. He had some, He had some scientific, you know, engineering thing about that. I don't know, but vinyl, you know, my friend, one of the early groups I was in, uh, Richard Walton, he just released a vinyl and he's been going around sharing that thing. I've been seeing people do that. I mean,
0: and there are people who love well, it's, it. You, it's, know? It's, you, know, you know, my kids both have record players now at home and they, they love collecting, you know, vinyl records. And, you know, they grew up in the digital age. You know, so it's yeah. fun to see them take that, take a hold of something that was in my childhood. And now they're uh, looking for those albums, those rare albums, like, like my son Spencer. He, he's a Pink Floyd fan. So oh, yeah. every, Christ- every Christmas, we always try to find him uh, some kind of a Pink Floyd album. And so.
2: I don't
0: know. Yeah, Pink Floyd is yeah, cool. Yeah. Yeah, they have a so, And it's fun to, to see him, you know, excited about that and, and collecting those those vinyls. What's one of the life lessons you've learned along your journey? That you can say, oh, wow. you know, looking back and say, wow, that, that was a that was something that helped shape who I am, or what what what's one of those life lessons?
1: Oh wow. That's a good question. If I had to pick one, I, I think one thing that I've learned is is uh, it's for me is staying true to yourself, really being authentic about who you are and 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 who you're not. Just getting really clear on that. Like, okay, I, this is you know, and 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 really staying true to that, and just don't worry about what other people might be saying or thinking. They're all going to have their stories and their opinions about stuff. But if you stay true to you and you do that thing back to that gift that you're going to give to the earth and you do that, things will work themselves out for mm-hmm. that. When you stay true to that,
0: you know, mm-hmm. is there a process of really discovering that?
1: Yeah, I think so. There's a, I, I think a lot of times we know that thing that we that's there for us. And sometimes I'll use a church analogy. There are people who want to be on the worship team when really what would be there for them would be greeters at the door. Mm-hmm. You have to be willing to do that too. You'll know mm-hmm. when it's for you to, to do that thing. When you're forcing a thing or when you're trying to do a thing, you, know, you, you want to be objective about it. You want to have people speak into you. Okay, yeah. you know, And, and if, if enough people of a, of a higher level or whatever are saying yes to a thing and you kind of can see that, go for that and really do that. But also don't be afraid to try something and say, you know what? I'd like to do this. The other thing I would say is another valuable life lesson that I got is to play at the, the ball field, you know, where it best suits you. So mm-hmm. an, an analogy for that would be, you know, if you're a weekend warrior and you like to play on the weekends that we could look at that, like the pony league or mm-hmm. something play there. If mm-hmm. you're, if you're, if you're a single a play there. If you're double A, play there. If you're triple A, play there. Well, people say, well, I want to play in the major leagues. And I go, okay, great. You know, you're not going to race Mario Andretti in a Yugo. <laughs> so you have to look at that. And, and there's only one way that you get to the major leagues. And my friend Keith Moore used to give a talk about this and where I learned this and people would sit there forever and try to guess, how do you get to the major leagues? There's only one way you get there. Any idea what you think that is?
0: Well, you have to start. For one thing,
1: yeah, but there's there's one particular action that ha- happens, and I'll give it to your listeners now. You get called up. You're in mm. the office somewhere with the manager and the AAA, whatever, and the phone call comes, and it's the New York Yankees or whatever, or it's the Baltimore mm. Orioles or it's the so and So they're calling you up. So you will know when it is time to do something at the the big big level. You'll be called up. Mm. They, they will be calling you to come there. If you're having to fight your way there, this you know. There's something not working about it. So in my case, you know, I'm working with the man, a new agent in Minneapolis, uh, James, who uh, who knew John DeLange from Tinderbox and John DeLange's working with 21 Pilot and all these wonderful groups. And James said, Hey, I think it's time for me to introduce you to John. Mm-hmm. And John said, Hey, I like your music. I think we should send it to college radio. And we went to a hundred college radio stations. And the next thing, you know, we got added on 78 stations and, now he's taking my music to, you know, various television stations and things, you know, mm-hmm. but he's now, you know, writing me and saying, hey, how about this and send this and send the cue sheets over. Now, not to say that you should just sit around and wait for someone to call mm-hmm. you. You, the actions you have to take. You've got to do the my, work, right? Yeah.
0: you got to You've gotta be in the trenches doing the work.
1: <laughs> yeah. Back to my story with Kim Giles, you know, I, I had to go find her and and do that and look for those people. I think, you know, another life lesson is, You know, you're only going to rise to the level of what the most important person around you thinks of you. Mm. So who you have in your circle, if you're the smartest person in your circle, you might want to find another Mm. circle. You always want to be looking for the the people who know more and then be humble about it and make Mm. requests. And then, you know, they'll call you up when it's time. And when they do, be ready and never let the fire go out. Never let the fire go out.
0: I, I love that thing of being called up. I think that is that... Is great for anyone to hear, you know, if you want to get to the major leagues, you gotta do the work and do the work well. And you'll get called up, that, that's how you make it to the major leagues. That, you'll get called it. up. That phone call will come
1: in. It will be either Deborah Leewow calling, like in my case, she's been a Capitol Record since nineteen seventy. And mm-hmm. she called us and said, Hey, Kim told me about you and here's where I want you to send your music. And you know, if you mm-hmm. called up, Art Good called me and said, Hey, I want you to come and play on Catalina Island jazz tracks you know jazz festival and you're going to go on in the final night you know before the main artist from that weekend and i thought i'll get 20 minutes and he goes no you have 90 minute show wow you know and, and this what you know you'll get caught i mean and there i was on uh, on myspace of all things you know and i got i got a message from a drummer who was like hey man i put bands together for people over there and i'm like okay who are you and i realized that he played with Michael Bolton. Mm-hmm. And Larry Carlton and Steve Perry, Keiko Matsui, and all these great artists. And there he was inviting me to the club. And he says, wow. Hey, we're going to get some musicians together. I got a friend, Billy Steinway. Billy Steinway, who plays piano. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he's touring with Free Osborne right now and, and, and Joe Sample and Lee Rittenhauer. And, you know, I mean, you just get called into that. They invite you in that circle.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: if you haven't been called up yet, it's okay. This means you're, you're probably not ready yet.
0: Not ready. Yeah. And, and
1: don't give up keep going, keep looking, keep working at it, you know?
0: Hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. So in, in this podcast, I always like to wrap it up with a, with a question. I'm a filmmaker and when you're creating a movie or a documentary, you always have, you write a log line and a log line is that phrase or sentence that describes the movie. So when the documentary or the movie about your life is made, what will the log line be?
1: What will that one phrase be? Yep. Yeah, I think would be something like, wow, that guy did it. (laughs) He actually did it, you know, I mean, don't, you know, or or, or don't count the man out. Hmm. You know, it's I mean, it would be something like that. You know, it's it's interesting. You share that one of the leadership courses I was in. We were discovering what our story would be Mm -hmm. if our life were a movie. What would our Mm -hmm. song be? Mm-hmm. And what would this be? And we were, we were beginning to look at, you know, that we could actually create our own mm-hmm. story and it didn't have to be the default one, but you know, I, but I know that for me, I'm the overcomer, mm-hmm. whatever you put in front of me, I'll find a way around it. Now, sometimes mm-hmm. I create those challenges to go around it. That's another thing <laughs> Can we <story>. all? <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> but it'd be something like that. He actually did it. Dang. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. So what's the next big thing for you? Uh, well, you know,
1: uh, the next big thing for me is we're working on. We're taking my new music to some uh, big labels, and we're taking my music to some television shows. Mm-hmm. Some of my new singer songwriter music, and we're pressing on like that. That's the awesome. next big thing. Also, I just launched for your fans. I just launched a Patreon page. Okay. So they can they can find me there, Drew Davidson. Davidson mm-hmm. with an S E N D A V I D S E N, and on my website they have all that. But
0: I'll put I'll big, be sure to put the link in the in the show notes in the podcast.
1: Yeah, perfect. The next thing for me is uh, is really shopping this new music in, in a big way. It's mm-hmm. you know it's been semi released, not fully released on iTunes or Spotify and that. But mm-hmm. that's the next big thing for me because you know as you know we're dealing with the Corona mm-hmm. virus yeah. now, so all live. Performances right. have been stopped. I mean, I right. was due to play at the Nashville Music Festival at the Fisk University in June or something, and I got the email mm. that they're not doing that. And wow. I was kind of looking forward to working the whole band then and being yeah. outside on a big stage. And, you know, that's next for yeah. me. And something else, I'm really looking at how I can connect the dots between my music and my health journey and create mm. a whole brand around that mm-hmm. a whole brand around coaching and a whole brand around people like really becoming their greatest. Self. I'm really mm. into that, you know, because that's something I think that people think they can't have, you know, and, and I really want to inspire as many people as possible to know that it is possible. That, right? mm-hmm. Awesome. So, uh, so play us a song. Yeah, great. So I want to try an experiment, Conrad, because I think one time I took the headphones off and put them out here, and it worked better, like a mic. Okay. to pick it up. Okay, sure,
0: sure. I don't know if that will.
1: Can you still hear me? Yep, I can Trevor. hear you. Yep, yep. Yeah, great.
2: <laughs> I said flashback seventeen. I said flashback seventeen. I said flashback to 17. seventeen after. Billy Joe, there was Billy G. And I take a walk down a lonely street of dreams. There was big hair and pink guitars. And who's going to take you home by the car? Video killed the radio star on MTV with your checks for free. Don't forget about these simple minds. If I could only travel back in time, it would be flashback 17. I would flashback 17. I should flashback 17. After Jack and Diane, then came I leave, and little pink houses on the lonely street of dreams. This way, addicted to love when you see cake, the bed of the bluebird day. Don't forget about these simple lines. Why don't you travel back in nine? Like be seventeen, 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 seventeen. Seventeen, seventeen, seventeen. Another part of me. is her in the sun. Ninety-nine red balloons, billion miles away. Flashback to seventeen. Flashback to seventeen. Billion miles away.
0: Um, that was great that was great I love that song so uh, that song is available on iTunes or Spotify or places not
1: yet it's uh, zinging around college radio it's available on my patrons okay who come and subscribe there and want to support and and further the mission they can get it it's going to be released very 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 soon and for right now we did it as a test to college radio and got absolute rave reviews well the whole compilation record but
0: yeah, that's my tribute to the 80s. Awesome. That is awesome. Well, everyone on the, the on the My Story podcast, you heard it here live and in person from Drew Davidson himself. So, Flashback 17 coming to the masses very soon. So, Drew, it's been a great privilege to have you on the show today. Thank you for taking time to talk to us and to share your story. I really appreciate it. It's been uh, always fun to to connect with you and to to see what you've been up to to see where you're going to go thank you it's been
1: a pleasure to be on here and you'll post the links and everything so people can find me yep. it's not hard it's just think davidson instead of harley davidson think like a, a uh think like a um a norwegian version of that there you go it's actually it is so d-a-v-i-d-s-e-n yeah, yeah it's really good. great and i love everything you're doing with your films and i have another guest i think that would be great for you okay. a friend of mine okay. aj ali who made the film walking while black maybe okay. i made that introduction with you guys be uh, i remember great you guest.
0: saying something about that but yeah i would like to uh, that'd be great to uh yeah he'd be a great like guest that. on here he's a filmmaker like you okay. a documentary yeah i person. love that i love that cool so, hey thanks so much i hope you have a great day stay safe over there and in, in uh, outside of nashville and uh and uh, keep on making music man i will thank you Thanks, Drew, for taking time to talk with me. I can't wait to hear your latest music coming across the radio waves. Next week on the My Story podcast, we will hear from Marquette Shepard, Marquette is an Emmy Award-winning journalist and author of children's books. She has been featured on top-rated national morning shows as a lifestyle expert, including NBC's Today Show, VH1's Big Morning Buzz Live, and ABC's Live with Kelly. Marquette is also the founder of The Glow Brands, LLC, a digital marketing and consulting company aimed at illuminating brands around the world. And next week, she is right here on the My Story podcast, so be sure to tune in on Monday for her story. Hey, if you enjoy these podcasts and think that more people should listen, I would heartily agree. So why don't you give me a review on Apple Podcasts and then share this podcast with a friend. You can send it through a text message or an email or through a Facebook post. I would really appreciate it. And be sure to follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and on Facebook. The music on today's show is from my friend, Drew Davidson. You've just heard his story. You can get all of his music on iTunes or Spotify or at drewdavidson.com. Last, be sure to subscribe to the show so you won't miss an episode. And if you have an idea for an interview you'd like to hear, send me a message and I'll see what I can do. Thanks so much for listening. I'll talk to you again next week on the My Story Podcast.